This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion. Break down each week's brand new episode of the sixth live-action Star Trek series with us every Monday during the season. To subscribe on your iPhone, Android, or other device, visit our website at discoveringtrek.com. Hey there, this is Vic Mignogna, Captain James T. Kirk from Star Trek Continues, and you're listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. Thank you so much for downloading. Thanks for being here. We're very grateful that you spend some of your time with us each and every week. Um, it's At this juncture, I would like to introduce my co-host. I bring him on here every single week, as I have done for 117 other episodes, and he still shows up. One of these days, he's going to figure out that we've moved, and um, and maybe he won't be here. But for now, he's the lovely and talented Dan Davidson. And Dan, uh, welcome to episode one eighteen, buddy. One hundred and eighteen. First of all, happy Halloween. You know, you can't. That's Thank my, you, one of my favorite holidays, man. I love it. Uh, it's great to be here, episode one eighteen. And and um, we got to make sure that we go to the post office and do the change of address form when we move, so that I know where I need to show up. Um, r- right. Yes. Right. I'll get right on that. Uh, be sure to keep an eye out for the memo. <laughs> I will do my best. You're very good at sending memos to the organization, so I appreciate that. I am. Usually about TPS reports. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, to be sure that everybody else has the correct cover sheet on their TPS reports, why don't you tell them how they can get in touch with us? Your segues are beautiful. I love that. Absolutely. You, yes, on Twitter, Facebook, Skype, and Instagram, you can find us at Trek Geeks. You can also send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, please do so by calling 508-784-1701. You can also do the same thing over at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. And as always, you can join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Uh, we would love to have you join us over there. It's always great fun, good discussion, great pictures, and of course, Star Trek Discovery Talk is always happening. To join the group, just go ahead on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and one of our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan, or if you're lucky, Bill might even be one of the people to let you write in to join in on all the fun. But please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Back to you, Bill. Thank you, Dan. That was fantastic. Or maybe even fan-set-tastic. Boom! Boom. Boom goes the dynamite. I can't wait till this shows up in an iTunes review. That's going to be fantastic. Um, So, Dan, today, as we... uh, 
we get into the meaty topic on this year podcast this week, we are going to talk about um, the the penultimate episode of one of our favorite things in the world. It is it is definitely one of our favorite things of the world. Yes, it, it's so sad to think that it's the next to last episode, but at the same time, it is so exciting to see what our friends over at Star Trek continues continue to show us uh, every episode that comes out. To Boldly Go Part 1 was recently released, and as is a tradition here on the Trek Geeks podcast, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about it in detail. And um, I will say, without giving away any spoilers just yet, this may be one of the top episodes. You cannot miss this episode. It's as simple as that. Without a doubt. I um, I, I, We're going to talk a lot about this episode, and later on we actually have... Uh, ye old special guest coming up as well. Huh? Yeah. Dan, I don't know if you know, but later on this episode, we're going to talk to the captain himself, Vic Mignana, for his record seventh appearance on the Trek Geeks podcast. What do you think about that, mister? Lucky seven. Uh, I mean, it, 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 I said tradition a minute ago. It is a tradition to have the captain on whenever we talk STC. Love talking to him. He always has such amazing insight and great stories to tell. Um, so yeah, we've got him later on in the show, and 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 I think everybody is going to enjoy it just as much as we did. Without a single doubt, my friend. But first, Dan, we probably should talk some news. Oh, wait, wait, wait! We're not ready for that yet. Oh. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks. It's treknews.net. Online at treknews.net. And Dan, there's not a whole lot of news this week, but what we have is quality over quantity my friend and it looks like we're gonna see more star trek discovery oh yes we talked about it i think it was just last week in last week's news segment we had a story about discovery as we always do and and we mentioned that uh we're looking forward to a second season but there has been no official word well my friends there is now official word cbs has announced that star trek discovery has been renewed for a second season on CBS All Access. And I know that there are two gentlemen sitting here talking into metal microphones that are just ecstatic that we are going to get this second season of Star Trek Discovery. Really? Who? Uh, I know I'm one of them. Um, You're kind of a jerk on social media about it, so you may not be. I'll find somebody who'll like it, though. (laughs) In all seriousness, we are are thrilled. Um, Star Trek Discovery uh, has driven, as as the release said um, by CBS, um, they have driven subscriber growth. They've received critical acclaim. They have a huge global fan interest, um, and in just six six episodes, they have proven all of this. So um, they drew nine point six million viewers when it was the first episode was released on CBS traditional television, and they have broken records for signups on CBS All Access. And uh, I, for one, am 
saying that that's because of Star Trek Discovery. So very, very excited. And I'm sure, Bill, that you share the same, uh, the same, the same feelings on that. I, I absolutely do. You know, I was listening to Mission Log Live the other day, and their guest was uh, author Robert J. Sawyer, who we'll be talking about later in the scope of To Boldly Go Part 1, mind Indeed. you. And he was saying that, uh, you know, if you consider all of the, 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 the TNG era spinoffs, all of the, the additional Star Trek series, by their sixth episode, none of them was nearly as strong as Discovery is. The characters are fully realized. There's depth. There's layers. You know, there's a story that, you know, is compelling. You know, when, when I look at the sixth episodes of some of the other ones, they they aren't nearly as good, especially TNG. And um, I think that that's a, a big reason as to why this series has already been picked up for season two at, at this point. So I'm excited. I can't wait to see how the rest of this season unfolds. And I, I, I sure as heck can't wait to see what they do in, in a second season. I, I agree. And and we want to congratulate everybody associated with Star Trek Discovery, uh, the, the cast, the behind-the-scenes people, the writers, the producers, everybody over there. You guys have done a hell of a job. We love what you are doing, and we look forward to season two. Yes, we do. And Dan, lastly, this isn't really news, but we're doing something special for Halloween. <laughs> Halloween's my favorite, my favorite, ho- my favorite episode. Yeah, it's my favorite holiday. So, um, um, I'm very excited. We've decided, you know, as this episode is is dropping, it is October 31st, and that means it's Halloween, and it's Trek Tuesday. So an added bonus. So what we want to do is we want to see you. In your Star Trek cosplay or, Hall- cosplay or Halloween. I can't talk today. And don't even say a word because I don't want to hear it from you. Um, <laughs> so what we want you to do is tweet your photos and tag us at Trek Geeks on Twitter. And uh, hey, you can even dress up as Michael Myers from the Halloween movies. And that would theoretically count because the mask is William Shatner. So uh, yeah, next week, uh, Bill and I will pick a random picture as a winner. And that person is going to win a $25 credit towards merchandise from our friends over at Fansets, who, of course, are our wonderful sponsors over at Discovery Trek. So get your inner cat spa on and celebrate Halloween Star Trek style. I can't wait for this. There are going to be so many great pictures. Maybe, you know, I'm going to make a, a, a... A game time decision here. We should probably do this on Discovering Trek 2. So make both podcasts, you know, we're going to announce this. And we just want to see as many pictures as possible. What do you think? I'll tell you what. I'll go talk to the executive producer of Discovering Trek and see if we can do that. Because that does sound like a great idea. Yeah, no, he's kind of a jerk. Don't do that. We convene this week to talk about an episode we've been really excited to see, and one that I don't want to say makes us a little sad, but makes us realize that you know, in the in the vein of Star Trek: The Next Generation, all good things, you know. Yeah, I, I, I will admit I am a little sad. I'm excited 
because of what we've seen and and what we're going to see is going to probably just like blow us out of the water. But at the same time, I am a little sad. But we won't worry about that because because the episode is so good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's 100% true. So at this point, let's advise everybody that from here on in, there there are spoilers for Star Trek Continues to Boldly Go Part 1. In fact, maybe we'll invite the spoiler alert warning from Discovering Trek into this space right here. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So there you have it. That's the official spoiler alert warning. From here on in, we're going to talk about things that happen in the episode. If you haven't seen Taboli Go Part 1, pause us right now. Go to YouTube or Vimeo or StarTrekContinues.com. Watch the episode and then come back and hear what we have to say about it. And also hear our exclusive interview with Vic Mignogna himself, Dan. So let's talk about this episode. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can because I, my, my jaw is still on the floor after watching it for like the fifth or sixth time recently. Uh, I, I'm going to say this right up front. You know, we, we talk to Vic a lot um, behind the scenes and, and we're good friends with him, as everybody knows. We were just as shocked as what we saw as anybody else because they keep things very quiet. The only the only time we've really known about what's going on in a particular episode and we really didn't know what was going on was when we visited the set a couple of Novembers ago. They are good at keeping things quiet. And th- I didn't expect any of this stuff. This was just all amazing. Yeah, you know, based on, on conversations we've had with Vic, you know, he kind of gives us, you know, the, a sense of how the episode is going to feel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he doesn't give any details at all. So by the time I, I fired this up, you know, on my television, and I'm watching the episode and I see the, you know, the, the, the fact that we're essentially dealing with a, a bookend story. I'm like, what? Yeah. What? what? Yeah. I, I literally started stammering because I was that excited. When uh, when she took off that mask or the visor and her eyes were glowing, I screamed. I, I screamed. Mitchell, I just yelled out. I think I yelled out Gary Mitchell, but just Mitchell. And I, and I mentioned that to Vic. Totally unexpected. And it's like, oh, my God, what are they going to do? And, and, and I thought of one other thing when that happened. If you remember, the white iris came out a while back and the poster was very mysterious and Vic asked us both what we thought the white iris might be in reference to. And my, my, what I thought, and he goes, oh yeah, no, that's wrong, was, does it have anything to do with Gary Mitchell and when the, the, he was, he was changed because his irises were shiny white? And he's like, yeah, that's good, but no, you're wrong. Cause I'm always wrong. Um, and it's always my fault, right, Michelle? Um, but that's right. Um, to see this, Happen and then of course we'll get into this in a few minutes. The Romulans and a particular Romulan. Oh my God! It just it was like it was like it was like Star Trek crack. It was so great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can notice by the way at all. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I could see you know with uh, with DVDs and Blu-rays that get released. They're usually quotes from reviewers. <laughs> on the back to get people to buy the DVD. And if Star Trek continues, we're in that kind of situation. I could just see the quote from Dan Davidson on the, on the back quote. It's like Star Trek crack end quote, Dan Davidson, Trek geeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dan, yes. before we, before we go any further, we probably should have you do your patented and trademarked and, you know, incredibly awesome three minute recap 
oh. of To Boldly Go Part One. Okay. Are you? Do you think that you're ready for such a task? Oh, I'm ready to give the synopsis, but I'm going to tell you right now, with this episode in particular, and yeah, I'm using that as an excuse because it never happens anyway. Um, three minutes? <laughs> That's hysterical. Yeah, not happening. <laughs> You realize that the the rule is is three minutes, uh, and that's how long it has to be, right? I'm a rule breaker, baby. So here we go, Dan, with your amazing three minute recap right now. Prologue: Spock and Doctor McKenna are meditating in Spock's quarters. Normally a deeply personal experience, Spock has grown comfortable with McKenna and feels she could learn a lot from Vulcan masters. Spock admits his time on the ship has made him appreciate his human half. McKenna holds his hand, and Spock reciprocates by holding hers as well. The Enterprise is on its way back to Earth when it is diverted to the Aldebaran system to investigate the loss of the USS Hood and damage to other starships in that system. Turns out that in addition, Starfleet has lost contact with its top-secret lab on Aldebaran 3, and the last ship it sent to investigate, the SS Halifax, has disappeared without a trace. Due to the anti-proton residue on the surface, Starfleet thinks this can mean only one thing. Romulans. Act 1. Kirk, Spock, and Dickerson beam down to the site, and after a brief firefight with a defense drone, meet Lana, who, like Gary Mitchell and Dr. Daner five years prior, has been through the Great Barrier and had her already high ESP quotients enhanced. She claims that an organization in Starfleet named Section 31 sent her through as a test and have been secretly assembling these people to use as weapons, much to Kirk's disgust. Lana claims that she is a pacifist and her powers have not corrupted her as they did Mitchell. She used her powers to hide from the Romulans. She says the Romulans kidnapped all of the espers because Romulans are immune to the uplifting effects of the barrier and they want to use them to overthrow the Praetor for ending the Romulan-Klingon alliance. Just then a Romulan dude shows up and threatens to kill everyone by setting his disruptor on overload. Lana uses her powers to send the weapon into the science lab entrance, and Kirk saves the day with a little fisticuffs, a torn uniform, and a little Vulcan nerve pinch from our green-blooded friend. They all beam out, just as the disruptor explodes. Act 2. Kirk has been ordered to follow the Romulans into the neutral zone to retrieve the espers at any cost. Spock asks Uhura to transmit an encoded message on a special frequency and advise only him of any response. With the Romulan in the brig, Lana tells Kirk that she believes he was a commander and a Praetorian spy. Interesting, but something just doesn't add up here. The Enterprise crosses into the neutral zone and is quickly greeted by a Romulan bird of prey, the IRW Hawk's Talon, commanded by the female Romulan commander. You know, from the Enterprise incident. Spock's message was to her, and she is there to assist, even though the Enterprise has clearly violated interstellar law. In his quarters, Kirk is furious with Spock for going behind his back to contact the Romulans, and especially that Romulan. Spock believes that he will be able to convince her to help locate the dissident Romulans, and Kirk reluctantly agrees. She beams aboard the Enterprise and advises Spock that she will aid him 
and the crew of the Enterprise, if she can. Arriving at the brig to question the captured Romulan commander, Chavonik tells Kirk that she does not recognize the man and he is certainly not a Romulan commander. He is then transported out of the brig to everyone's surprise. Kirk calls a transporter room and is advised that the Romulan was beamed out of the brig just as Kirk had ordered. He's an imposter and now he's loose. Act 3. There's no way to trace where the Romulan was beamed to, but they do know that he is still on the Enterprise because she has not dropped her shields at any time. Just then, the Romulan intruder enters engineering and takes the mains offline while also releasing electroplasma throughout engineering. Another fistfight ensues while Scotty attempts to clear the air. Once he does, Kirk subdues the Romulan, but not before he uses the good old-fashioned Vulcan death grip on Trevarnik. This extra-strength Vulcan nerve pinch he used will keep her unconscious for several hours, so they prepare to send her back to the Hawk's Talon at the insistence of our old friend Tal. Additionally, the dude isn't even a Romulan. He's a Vulcan named Sentek. He's married to Lana, and his ESP quotient is through the roof. Kirk is putting together the pieces that Lana is not telling the whole story, and he, McCoy, and Dr. Mabenga believe her trip through the barrier was not authorized by Starfleet. In the lounge, Lana and Dr. McKenna discuss the attack on the science station. Kirk and security arrive and tell Lana they know all about the fake attack. She becomes cold and preaches as to how superior she and the espers are. They take her into custody, and when she explains that the preservers constructed the barrier so that those with superior powers can be uplifted, McCoy interjects with, You don't know what gods think? To which she chillingly replies, Yes, I do. On the bridge, it seems the dissident ship has simply disappeared. Subcommander Tal agrees based on his scans, and sensor logs on the Enterprise show that the Romulan marauder ship vanished once Sentek was rendered unconscious. It was all a ruse, and now that there is no threat, Tal plans on destroying the Enterprise. They charge weapons and attempt to fire, but nothing happens. They continue to try and fire again, but nothing happens. Or did they just think they were firing? Just then, Chavarnik returns to the Romulan bridge and orders Tal to stand down. At an enhanced brig, Kirk tells Lana about her fooling the Romulans into thinking they were firing on the Enterprise. He admits he knows that she also fooled them into thinking the espers were kidnapped by Romulans, when in fact they were all on the Halifax heading for the barrier. How simple it is to deceive humans, says Lana. They can be convinced to do anything. Kirk and Security Chief Drake realize that she tricked the crew of the USS Hood to shut down their own life support system. There was no need to do that, but Lana icily says she did it just to see if she could. Act 4. In the briefing room, Kirk and crew discuss the events from their last visit to the Galactic Barrier. Above all else, they must prevent the espers on the Halifax from entering the barrier and uplifting their powers. Scotty mentions that defeating one god was hard enough. How will they defeat a ship full of them? They're not gods, says Kirk, just humans. Enhanced, but with human frailty and reminds everyone that Gary Mitchell even forgot Kirk's middle name when they had their final battle. Oh, what a great way to set that record straight. The USS Congo advises that they've picked up the trail of the Halifax, and the Enterprise readies to join the chase. 
The Halifax is too far ahead for them to catch up in time, but with some cool techno babblish help from the Romulans, both ships piggyback each other and head off to the barrier with a pretty cool warp effect from Star Trek The Motion Picture, I might add. Down in the brig, Lana easily turns off the force field and freezes Drake and another member of security. Lana forces Drake to point his phaser at the guard and vaporizes him. She then maniacally makes Drake point his own phaser at himself and fires, and he is gone. In sickbay, Sentek awakes and disables McCoy. And on the bridge, the ships arrive at the barrier to find the Halifax, but it is deserted. Just then, the USS Congo emerges from the barrier. There are only about two dozen people on board, and they are all enhanced espers. Lana and Sentek then arrive on the bridge, and she claims that they are too late. She orders Kirk to surrender the Enterprise, or it will suffer the same fate as the USS Hood. To be concluded. Um, buddy? <laughs> hey, how are you? Uh, I've got a question for you. <laughs> do you, um, do you own a clock? <laughs> Oh, I own a clock. I don't own a stopwatch. Do you have you uh, clocks have second hands sometimes? Have you um? Do you know what that second hand does? Well, let, mean, me, let me let me put it to you this way. Just very recently, at the beginning of this episode, I think it was at the beginning of the episode. See, I already forgot. Um, I can't do more than one thing at once. So being able to read and look at the clock at the same time, y- y- come on, man, give me I, don't give me that much credit. Can't happen. I. <laughs> Not only was it not three minutes, it, it almost was not ten minutes. <laughs> but let me ask you this. Was it good? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, let's let's work on that three-minute thing, though, huh? All right. So that's going to your performance review. I'll, oh, I better get busy. Yeah. So, Dan, as we alluded to earlier, this really is an amazing bookend story, something we weren't expecting at all. You know, we got that kind of treatment with Star Trek The Next Generation. It never occurred to me that that could be on the table for TOS. What do you think? I absolutely never expected it in a thousand years. And here's one of the reasons I never expected it. To be honest, Where No Man Has Gone Before is not the greatest of Star Trek episodes by any stretch of the imagination. Um, So to decide to do a story based on that episode really is something and i'll tell you what i haven't done it yet i think you have but i'm going to be going back and watching where no man has gone before uh soon and um i bet you i'm going to really enjoy it a lot more now that i've seen to boldly go part one i can tell you that's exactly what happened for me i um like you said it's it's not it's not the greatest of star trek episodes i mean if you figure it's, it's a it's a second pilot you know, what What pilot, you know, for any TV show winds up being that awesome, in all honesty. People are still finding their footing with the characters usually, and, you know, they're, the story's not usually there. It's really just to to get the show going. Right. But I really do have a new appreciation for this episode based on this particular story for Star Trek Continues. And I think that's that's really the thing I appreciate about it the most. You know, you and I have talked in the past on how Star Trek continues has kind of rekindled our passion for the original series. Mm-hmm. And it's really made me look at, at where no man has gone before in a, in a new light. 
you know, I see things differently with that episode, whereas before I really just sort of dismissed it as meh. Yeah. Um, it, it's really interesting. You know, that's one of the things I love about what Vic and the team and everybody at Star Trek Continues does is they they think of these things, they think outside the box like like nobody's business. And, you know, it could have been very easy to say, hey, let's do a, a secondary story about the city on the edge of forever or another favorite uh, of TOS, like Spock's brain or something like that. And it would have been really great. Uh, but no, they decided to choose this. And I, at least for part one and what we've seen so far, it's, oh, and I got to throw Enterprise Incident in there, of course, but um, it is working it's not just working well, and you know we're biased. It's working to perfection. That was one of the most amazing forty-eight minutes of quote unquote television that I've seen in a long time. In terms of of what they're they're doing, it's really really something. It was, and uh, you know you, you you talked about you know bringing elements of other episodes, and let's kind of talk about that now. You know, in every episode of Star Trek Continues, there are little. Uh, whether you want to call them Easter eggs or, or, or nuggets or, you know, flashes forward or backward um, to other Star Trek, that, that this one really is just, it, it's just a lot of goodness in that regard. You know, one of the first things I noticed when they beam down to the planet, you know, and, uh, and, and Kirk and, <laughs> and, and Spock and, and security guy are, are walking, is that in the background you see something that looks like Vasquez Rocks. Yes. <laughs> and I really dug that. I'm like, okay. So we get a little nod to that. We get a little nod to other things. You know, um, just the fact that they they, they created a, a bookend to where no man has gone before and even brought in elements from the Enterprise incident. But, you know, there's there's tiny things all over the place. What are some of the ones that, that, that stood out to you the most, Dan? Well, one of the ones that has that has stood out to me in terms of more of a question mark because I have to go verify it because, as I said, I haven't gone and watched that uh, that uh, early episode yet. Is I had no idea that Smith was an original crew member from way back at the beginning of the series um, when uh, they were in the briefing room discuss- discussing what they needed to do, and they asked her if there was anything that she could report from when. Mitchell was originally hit by the the powers in the Great Barrier. I didn't realize that she was there holding his hand. So that's going to be interesting to go back and and watch. And people have already confirmed it online. So uh, that was very interesting to me. I can confirm it for you. Okay. You know, it's it's Yeoman Smith. So, I mean, she's received a promotion since then. And that makes sense, too. But it never occurred to me that, that Kipley Brown could be playing a character that we have already seen. I just thought it was, you know, random character that, that they gave a name to. Sure. You know, shame on me, but but there she is. And I'm glad that there's that kind of continuity. I'm glad I'm still finding things out like that at this phase. Yes. Uh, it, it, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it um, and, and verifying it for myself because there's so much trust. There's only so much trust I put in you, but I'll, I'll take your word for it for right now. Um, well, it, use the trust you put in Vic. <laughs> yes, yeah, good point. A very good point. Let's be honest about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, what are some others? Well, of course, um, it, it, it's not really a, a hidden Easter egg or a hidden nugget, but seeing the Great Barrier again uh, was really great. I thought, and the special effects that they do in the on, in the Great Barrier and Star Trek continues is just just magnificent. 
Uh, it was good to see that. You know, the whole the whole tie-in with Mitchell and Doctor Dennehy was I th- was I thought was great. They mentioned Mitchell. They never really mentioned the doctor by name. They just mentioned that there were two people that were affected by the barrier. Um, but it was you know, definitely we knew who they were talking about. So I thought that that was very very cool. Um, we mentioned it briefly uh, a few minutes ago, but having the Romulans uh, in this episode was very interesting indeed, and not just Romulans. But a Romulan, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. You know, the fact that, you know, that Amy Rydell looks so much like the original Romulan commander. And and Dan, it's only because we didn't find out until we talked to Vic that there's a reason for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And that's because... It's because it's the daughter of Joanne Linville, and that was totally mind-blowing. I never stopped to think that, you know, that would be the case, and when that happened, it it made it even more special for me. I was watching this with with Sue, and and, uh, Sue absolutely loved the episode as well, and and when when she, when they showed her for the first time it was another freak out moment for me and i explained to her uh all about it and then i said to her i said i don't know what they did to find an actress that looks almost exactly like the original romeo commander it was eerie uh i guess is the best word to describe it so well played the same mannerisms. I loved the little wisp of hair on the side of her cheek, just like uh, uh, Joanne had back in in the sixties. Um, and of course, we can't talk about the Romulans without talking about the unbelievable job that Ginger Holly did with the costumes. Not only for everything in the episode, but specifically, I want to point out the costumes for the Romulans. They were absolutely beautiful. You know, if you look at a side by side photo of uh, of the two costumes the one from well let's say almost 50 years ago and the ones that that ginger made for this episode of star trek continues it it's flawless it really is it looks like it was grabbed from the lot at desilu and brought straight to the sets of star trek continues and put on amy rydell it is that good looking i mean it's uh, I can't say enough great things about it. It is perhaps one of my favorite costumes of the whole series. Yeah, it really, really looked great. Speaking of the Romulans, Bill, it was great to see Tal again. Uh, That was a nice surprise as well. Yeah. I got to say, Romulans, um, it appears, you know, they have a star empire for God's sake, but they don't seem to really put a lot of their military budget into a bridge that has any um, space. I guess, for better word. <laughs> well, you know, when I go back and I look at you know the first appearances of the Romulans, and you know, that's that's essentially a a submarine battle, right? And that's what that bridge makes me think of. You know, even the the control console reminds me of a of a periscope to some extent. Exactly. You know, and I always thought that was a weird design choice, but uh, you know, to the credit of everybody that works on continues. I mean, it looks like they just pulled that set out of storage at Desilu and stood it up. That Busey does such a great job at Star Trek Continues with the lighting, too, because that really stood out in those scenes on the Romulan Bridge. The lighting, just exactly like we saw back in the 1960s, Balance of Terror. It was, it, it, It's just so great to see what they do. Let me ask you a question. Uh, this is one thing that is, is a point of confusion for me, and it's probably just my confusion because, let's face it, 
it's me. Um, the scene when they're uh, attempting to fire the plasma weapon at the Enterprise, and they show them hitting the panel. Are they thinking because of the espers that that's where the fire button is, and that just that's why nothing's happening? I assume so. Okay, that's what I was. I was curious. I'm like, okay, look, they're not really hitting the fire button. What's going on? And then it, I, yeah. it dawned on me. Maybe they just think they are, and they see it, but we don't. Right. Well, that's you know kind of the the line that occurs after that. You know, well, maybe they think they fired. Yeah. Okay. You know, so that's that's exactly how I took that. Okay. So. Um, um, I do have one more thing about the Romulans before I get into my biggest Easter egg. And yeah, yeah. I, I found it very interesting, and I was happy to see that we finally have a name associated with the female Romulan commander. Because let's be honest, for 50 years, we've been calling her the female Romulan commander. Um, so I thought it was great. Chavarnik is kind of a cool name, and uh, I, I was glad to see that finally happen. I agree. I um, It was, you know... I- I've called her the Romulan commander too. I think everybody has. I don't know if she ever got a name in any of the novels. Um, and I'm sure we'll hear about it if she has true, but I think it was, I think it was a nice touch that, that, that occurred. I don't think you could reintroduce that character without doing so because to have Spock or everybody else just call her commander would have been like, and you know, so, so I suspect Dan, that your favorite Easter egg in this episode has something to do with a particular consonant. (laughs) Yes, indeed it does. Um, For 50 plus years now, everyone has been talking about the mistake, quote unquote, that was made. Um, Of course, it wasn't a mistake at the time because they hadn't really established the character yet. It was one of the pilots. But of course, we see the gravestone when Kirk is fighting uh, Gary Mitchell on the planet, and uh, his gravestone says James R. Kirk. And of course, we all know that's not the case at this point. It's James T. Come on. But uh, I just loved the just very subtle reference in the briefing room talking about how these espers, even though that they have been elevated, they are still humans and they still have human frailty. And Kirk says, uh, for God's sake, Gary even forgot what my middle name was. That was that was so great. It was another one of those oh bleep moments for me for this episode. It was subtle. It was not anything that you wanted to shine a spotlight on to make note of it. And it works perfectly. Well done, Vic. You know, there are so many moments like that in this in this series, you know, over the, the now 10 episodes, soon to be 11. And it was just another one of those things that made me smile a little bit. You know, we, we've dealt with some of these the, these internal inconsistencies that TOS has. Because, I mean, let's face it, it was episodic television in the 60s. They weren't looking to create a canon, you know, despite what anybody thinks. Right. You know, Gene wasn't out there to build a universe. He was out there to make a TV show. Mm-hmm. And things like this happen. And I was glad that, you know, they found a way to address it in-universe that was quick and subtle and not a huge point, but made all the sense in the world. And I think that's the thing that meant the most to me as a fan. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, let me ask you a question. Yeah. I'll bet one of your favorite nuggets wasn't so much a consonant, but may have been one particular word. <laughs> that is 100% correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, People who love the original series the way that Dan and I love the original series love some of the the quirks and the nuances about it. And there are times in the original series where Shatner just he, he says things weird. 
you know, like peace and tranquility. Um, and mission log is called this this particular word that I'm thinking out too on, on a number of occasions, and it's this sabotage. <laughs> and Vic delivers that word the way that Shatner said it in the 60s and I have to admit I had to pause because I was chuckling I thought it was just such a great moment true to Kirk and not overly Shatner and that's one of the things I appreciate about the most is he's you know getting in the uh, about to step on the transporter pad in uh, to boldly go so yeah sabotage <laughs> <laughs> very very great Oh, the great call out. Yeah. Fantastic. Dan, so there were some important developments in this episode um, as, as we learned about you know, the, the espers. And, uh, you know, there was a there was a death of uh, of a significant Star Trek continues character. Yeah. You know, this is something that we've been afraid of because we don't see some of these characters later on uh, when the movies start. And uh, I'll tell you what. um Security Chief Drake. Uh, I, I'd like to say he went out fighting, but it was kind of hard when you're frozen. Um, but uh, that was that was a powerful scene. Um, you know, uh, Spock warned Kirk at the beginning of the episode about what you know bringing one Esper on board did the last time, uh, and and his excuse for bringing her on was yes, but she's a pacifist. So uh, I guess. He, uh, I know he, in his captain's log later on, he questions whether he did the right thing, but people are paying the price, and uh, Chief Drake and his counterpart, who happened to be the same guy who killed Rod Roddenberry in that little vignette that they had uh, last year (laughs) on the bridge, has suffered the same fate. Um, Yeah, that was sad to see, and it it just makes me wonder, is there more to come? We've got one more episode, and I don't know if my heart's going to take it. Yeah, there's a lot that has to transpire in this this final episode of Star Trek Continues, you know, because we're going to we're going to bridge the gap as it were, right? Or it's going to bring the gap bridging to a close and prepare us to enjoy the movie adventures of of Kirk, Spock and crew as as they began in 1979. And I I'm worried. Yeah. You know, I, I there could be some serious things that happen. I mean, obviously we know none of the main cast is going to meet the ultimate fate, but there could be some serious repercussions for them uh, regardless. Right. And that's, uh, that's still troublesome. It's, it, you know, it's very troublesome. And as we're sitting here talking and you're telling me this, I'm actually kind of rocking back and forth and I'm not lying. I'm literally like, Oh God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Um, it's, it's, it is worrisome. That's a very good way to put it, especially when you love these characters and this, this journey as much as we do. It's, I'm looking forward to it because I know it's just going to blow our socks off. But at the same time, I'm scared to death to watch it because I, we don't know what's going to happen. But it's 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 a good chance it's not going to be pretty. That's very true. But Dan, let's lighten the mood a little bit. Yay! Let's. Uh, this is probably a good time to bring on our dear dear friend Vic Mignana and have a a discussion on this episode and some of its elements and maybe some things behind the scenes as Vic always does. He's always got some great stories and some great uh, recollections of producing the episode and. Um, what do you say? What do you say? We talk to our buddy. I think that's a good idea, but don't you know? Make sure you hit the right button to start the conversation because the last thing you want to do is sabotage this episode. <laughs> 
Well, as mentioned, today we're going to be discussing the penultimate episode of the critically acclaimed fan production, Star Trek Continues. Uh, This latest episode, To Boldly Go Part 1, is truly a masterpiece of Star Trek in every sense of the words. And joining us today in what has become, you know, kind of a tradition here on Trek Geeks, whenever a new STC episode is released, is the man who is the creator and executive producer of Star Trek Continues, and, oh yeah, he just happens to also play the part of Captain James T. Kirk. His name is Vic Mignogna, and Vic... Welcome aboard your seventh visit to Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. Is that even possible? <laughs> I joined you guys seven times. Yes, yeah. sir. Yep. It is My amazing. God, it seems like just yesterday. I love you guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for the kind words about uh, about 10, about episode 10. We are so excited and we are over the moon with the kind of response the episode has gotten. Well, uh, th- and it is it is well deserved because you know every episode it seems we're like okay can they keep building on what they've been doing because it just gets better and better. This one, Vic, all of the other ones are so up. This just blew me away watching it. I couldn't believe the things that were happening because as as with all of the episodes, we don't know really anything about what's going to be going on, and right. and seeing what you guys have done with this. Uh, is truly amazing, and and we can't wait to see uh, what happens in the to-be-concluded next episode. Gosh, um, you guys, I am chomping at the bit. <laughs> I have been praying to God, asking him to make days uh, 12 hours long <laughs> instead of 24 hours long so that it can get here twice as fast. I am so excited about 11. In fact, um. I've I've often told people, you know, I, I hoped people would like 10, but I kind of felt like 10 was just a stepping stone, a necessary stepping stone to 11. Um, so I'm so glad that people are enjoying it because, uh, you know, I'm so close to the episodes. I mean, having shot them and acted in them and, and edited the scripts before we even ever shot them and then edited the episodes and sound design and music and all of it. That I, I lose a bit of perspective, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I, it's it becomes commonplace to me, and sure. so I'm I'm always curious as to how they're going to be received, and and I am so excited about eleven. I can hardly stand it. If you guys thought this one was packed with a lot of stuff, oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, every time I'm having a conversation with James Kerwin or Lisa Hansel. And we're talking about a particular plot point, and somebody will say, is that in 10 or 11? The answer is always, oh, that's in 11. <laughs> like, so many of the things that are amazing things uh, are, are actually packed into 11. I can't wait. Ugh. You know, Vic, Star Trek has a, a long history of, of truly great science fiction authors penning stories. Tell me about how you got Robert J. Sawyer for this episode. Well, you know what? I mean, you should ask Rob Sawyer how he got us. <laughs> I mean, what I mean by that is Rob is a a very, very big classic Star Trek fan. He is a, a very, very enthusiastic TOS fan, just like me and uh, and several of the people in our show. And literally, I have to confess, I didn't even know who Rob Sawyer was. And... Uh, when was that episode? Which episode was it? 
Was it seven? I can't even remember. Maybe six? But uh, he came down to visit the studio, and James Kerwin pulled me aside and said, Hey, man, I'm, I guess who's coming to visit the, the studio? Rob Sawyer. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> who's that? Who is that? And he's like, dude, really? Rob Sawyer. And so when he came, I met him, a really, really nice guy. We put him in a uniform, put him at a bridge station, gave him a little cameo, and he had a, a really fun time. And then when James and I started talking about our final two-part uh, series finale, uh, it came up that we should see, you know, that that Rob was interested in writing it. So uh, we put together a brief two or three page synopsis of what we wanted to happen. Things that we want to be accomplished in these two episodes. And we sent it to Rob and he began writing and then uh, he sent us back uh, part one and we made some adjustments and sent it back and he he refined it. And uh, the, the, finished, the two finished episodes are absolutely brilliant. And Rob did a masterful job and we are extremely honored. And now that I know who he is and I and I actually knew a lot of his work, I just didn't know he was the one behind it, you know? Yeah, sure. Sure. It's like saying I love Star Wars, but I didn't know George Lucas created Star Wars. <laughs> I just love Star Wars. So I'm a I'm a fan of Rob's work before I knew who Rob was. And uh, we're extremely honored. Well, the, 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 the story is magnificent. And before we actually get into the story, I do have one quick question. Um, and that is, I'd like to know when you guys actually created a cloning facility down in Kingsland because what? Amy Rydell as the Romulan commander. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Let me wow. just tell you, when we, when we had decided that we were going to have uh, the Romulans in this episode and we wanted to bring Charvenik back. I started scouring all of my connections and contacts and looked everywhere for an actress that looked like Joanne Linville. And I was just coming up short. I couldn't find anybody that really looked like her. And uh, so one day, one of our people, I think it was Julian Higgins, one of our director and good friend of mine, said, hey, doesn't? Joanne Linville have a daughter? And I said, well, I, I, I think so. Now that you mention it, I seem to remember seeing Joanne Linville at an event in, uh, in L.A., and there was a girl sitting with her at the table uh, that I think was her daughter, and she said, you should look her up. And I looked her up online and I was like, on Facebook, and I was like, oh, my God. She looks so much like her mom. Mm. And so I sent her a Facebook message, and here comes the best part. She wrote me back, and she said, you know, my mom and I have talked for years about wouldn't it be cool if somebody brought the Romulan commander back. And, and, uh, and she embraced the opportunity um, she had blonde hair at the time and she colored her hair and came down and just knocked it out of the park. And I just posted this on Facebook about an hour ago. One of the coolest parts about it is not just that she is the daughter of the woman who played the, the original character, 
but she was the exact age when we shot our episode that her mom was when she shot the original episode. Oh, wow. wow. Um, and I have to tell you, there have been so many of these really, really crazy serendipitous things happen throughout the run of this production. I'm a person of faith, so I, I choose to believe that it's very much a, a providential thing. Uh, we have seen so many amazing things happen uh, in this show and in this production and the people that have been drawn to it and, uh, and the, the people that have come to work on it, the actors and the, the just the crazy things that, that are just too amazing to be a coincidence. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, until you said this just now, I absolutely had no idea that it was Joanne Linville's daughter. I'm stunned. I, that is so amazing to me. It makes me love her performance in this episode even more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I now, mean, she sent us a picture the other day. And by the time this interview is out, this picture will probably be posted. But she sent us a picture of she and her mom watching the episode together. Oh, wow. Like sitting in front of a television. And she's on the screen as the Romulan commander. And she and her mom are on either side of the television looking at each other with big, huge, giddy smiles on their faces. And they both have pointed ears. They're both wearing pointed ears. <laughs> That's great. That is awesome. I have one question, and, and unfortunately I don't, I don't know um, too much about her background. Was this her first acting experience, or is she, is she an actress normally? You know, I know she's done some, but I know that she has a great deal of of background in dance. Okay. Now, you may not know this, but her dad is Mark Rydell. Oh, yeah. Who is responsible for some very well-known motion pictures. He directed on Golden Pond. Yep. Uh, he, he's, he's directed some some really great films. And I, I'm fairly certain that uh, that she has done a little bit, but not a great deal. Okay. Well, she certainly, um, she, I mean, her mom was, was just, she was great as, as a Romulan commander. It was, it was eerie. I was watching it with my wife, and she'd seen the Enterprise incident a couple of times, but she goes, that looks just like the girl who played in the original series. It was just a great moment. Oh, my gosh, yes. And you know what? She, when, when we cast her, she would tell me when we'd chat on the phone, I'd kind of check in with her to see how she was doing if she needed anything, make sure the flights were arranged, all that kind of stuff. And she, uh, she literally told me that she had been working on the script with her mom. Like her mom was helping her with the character. And so when she showed up on set, I, I thought to myself, this is so cool. She is literally performing this role the way that she and her mom worked out over the last few months. Wow. Wow. I, um, you know, Vic, I have to thank you because in this episode and you, everything you do is pretty much intentional and I respect that. And I love that about you. And you dropped a word in this episode that made me smile and laugh at the same time. And it's this sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that piece of, of history 
um, because it was just so perfectly placed and timed. I got a real kick out of that. I love that you. Well, I love that that classic Star Trek fans even get the reference. <laughs> and I will tell you, we shot it both ways. And <laughs> and when I was editing, I thought, should I use it? Should I not? Should I use it? Should I not? And then I thought, well, if I use it, the people that the handful of people that get it will enjoy it. Um, and no, and the rest of the people won't know that, you know, they will never think a thing about it. But if I don't use it, then no one will enjoy it. So there won't be anything special about it. So I decided to use it. And I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, it was great. It was awesome. Um, let's talk about the story a little bit, Vic. I mean, because it was just, it was an amazing story. Did you always envision parts of this story to be part of the finale? Uh, when you were going through the whole process of of putting STC together, and um, or did it evolve into something over the course of of all of these uh, uh, ten and eleven, soon to be eleven episodes? Well, you know, when we were, I'll tell you what happened, and it was the fan film guidelines. Up until the point that the fan film guidelines came out, we hadn't even we were not even at a point where we were thinking about our series finale. I think we were shooting episode seven. Okay. Or maybe eight when the guidelines came out. And suddenly the, uh, the entire focus was on, okay, we need to wind this up. We need to wrap up our series. We need to start thinking about wrapping up our series sooner rather than later. As I've told you guys before, my intention was to make 13 episodes. And when you're on episode seven, you're not really thinking much about 13. And so when the fan film guidelines came out, we immediately went into, uh, you know, emergency damage control mode. And we, we realized that we were not going to get 13 episodes done, but we might be able to get 11 done. And we had always wanted to do a two-part finale. We'd always talked about that. We hadn't talked at all about what the story was going to be, just that we wanted to do a two-part finale. And so that meant that 10 and 11 would be our two-part finale. And we were already in pre-production, I think, for eight. And I wanted to get at least one more standalone episode done, and that became nine. So then the focus became what's 10 and 11 going to be about? And as I talked about it with other producers, we decided that one thing they used to do in classic TV back in the 60s or 70s, early 70s, was if they were fortunate enough to have a series finale, they would often bring it full circle. And they would, and the, they would often bring it back to where it started and kind of come full circle with it. And so we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we were to bring back full circle the, uh, you know, the pilot and bring back the espers and, uh, and have them be much more of a threat than they, than they were, you know, if, if one esper was such a threat in where no man has gone before, how much more of a threat is a boatload of them with a starship? So, uh. 
so that's what we decided. And then we, as as we discussed a minute ago, we brought Rob Sawyer in. Uh, we told Rob we gave Rob a list of bullet points of things we wanted to accomplish in the episodes, and uh, and he began writing. You know, I have to say, as a as a longtime original series fan, like like you and like Dan. You know, Where No Man Has Gone Before was never one of my, like, top ten episodes. Well, me neither. But, me neither. Yeah. Watching To Bully Go Part One has actually made me go back and watch it again. And it's really given me a new appreciation for it. Absolutely. You know, I um, there's yeah. so much nuance to, to the whole idea of the espers that I kind of really never thought about before. Because I never really watched that episode as critically. And I can really see how your episode now raises the stakes exponentially for the crew of the Enterprise. Right, 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 right. And while we're talking about espers, you know, I, I don't know if the viewers who have watched episode 10 just take it for granted, but it was no small task mm. to give the espers the glowing eyes, the silver eyes. I can imagine. Now, in the original episode, I don't know if you know this or not, but they actually cut out pieces of aluminum foil and put aluminum foil in the actor's eyes. Can you oh. even imagine? Oh my god! <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah, they took they put aluminum foil in their eyes, you guys. <laughs> and that's why, honestly, that's why Gary Mitchell was constantly kind of raising his chin and looking through the bottom of his eyes because oh. he couldn't see shit. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't see where he was going. So. We, we, we looked everywhere for contact lenses and you could find, we could find all kinds of contact lenses, but guess what we couldn't find? Aluminum foil. Find shiny silver, <laughs> shiny silver looking contact lenses. Couldn't find them. We found solid white ones, but that's not what they looked like. They sparkled. They had, and because they were physically on set, they were physically interacting with the lights and the movement of the characters. So if we couldn't do it practically, and we couldn't because we couldn't find contact lenses, then it became a matter of post-production. So we had somebody, Michael Strzok from NeoFX, we sent him every shot of the Esper, uh, the Esper of, of, of Lana, and then of the group on the bridge. And he motion tracked their eyes. And then he made a little eye effect that looked like the original and uh, and composited it in every frame of every shot. And then that was the first step. And the second step was on all the close ups, whenever you were close enough to a character like head and shoulders, you know, to to really see the eye as well. We gave those shots, once Michael Strzok had applied his effect, we gave those shots to Mark Bell, our VFX supervisor. And he created a very, very subtle animation where light, where mm. wherever there was light reflecting off of the effect, it would create a little sparkle or mm -hmm. movement so that it would simulate the the eyes actually physically being in the scene you know what i mean sure as yeah. opposed to as opposed to a static shiny piece of artwork 
pasted over top of the eyes. And it did not move. It did not interact when the character walked around and looked in different directions. So uh, point, point is, a lot went in to the Esper eye effect. Speaking of that Esper eye effect, Vic, I wish you could have been sitting in my living room the night that that Sue and I watched the episode because as she comes out of the out of the uh, the lab and she's got that that visor on, great reference to "Is There in Truth No Beauty?" By the yeah. way, I thought that was great. When she took that visor off, I probably woke up my neighborhood because I was like, "Holy sh!" It's Mitchell, and I, it was just one of those awesome moments that I don't think I'll ever forget because, as I said a few minutes ago, I didn't realize what this was going to be about. So to see that callback right away was yes. was brilliant. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> that means the world to hear that kind of feedback. Thank you. I think that um, one of the other things I wanted to briefly uh, touch upon was – the continued progressions that you guys are making. And, and you mentioned Mark Bell uh, just a few minutes ago, and he just does such a fantastic job um, with those uh, visual effects. Of course, one of the most beautiful ones was when they entered the neutral zone, they had that pan of the saucer section, very reminiscent, re- very reminiscent oh, uh, yes. of the cage. It was just, it was beautiful. And yeah. also the progression towards the future. And specifically, I mean the Star Trek The Motion Picture warp effect when you were piggybacking with the Romulan. Oh, my gosh, right? Oh, even the sound was the same. It was just yes. it was gorgeous. Yes. And you know what else? Oh, my gosh. These kind of things people don't realize. They just watch it, and they're like, oh, that's cool. The galactic barrier. Yes. Okay, yeah. you guys, there is, there is a thing that – VFX people know about. They used to use it all the time, and, and they still do in many, in many respects, called a cloud tank. It is literally a, a tank, and things are injected into the tank, and the way that they expand and move in, in, in the tank, in water, mm-hmm. or, you know what I mean, um, and liquid and gas and stuff... And then it's photographed, and it's used for different effects. And that's what they used. Uh, I believe Mark Bell, uh, that's what they used for the Galactic Barrier, I think, back then. And he, I can't even believe it. I don't even know how he did it. He was able to get access to a cloud tank. And, And our Galactic Barrier... And the movement in the galactic barrier was an actual cloud tank and uh, just brilliant. Absolutely amazing. Well, speaking of the cloud tank, what about when the uh, Congo came through? That was, uh, oh my I mean, gosh, oh, right? it was, it was ominous and, and, you know, the wisps of clouds, so to speak, um, it, around it, it was, it was another beautiful example of, yeah, of what we've been what? talking about. Listen, guys, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. People that don't know VFX, they don't understand that's not easy to do. Yeah. Because the reality is the cloud, the, the, the galactic barrier is its own effect. And it's not an actual cloud. And it, it's not a physical thing. And the ship is not a model. It's mm-hmm. a CGI ship 
which means in order to make it look and and I had a specific conversation with Mark Bell where I said I want the ship to look like it's physically pushing through the cloud. I want it to look like it's physically interacting with the cloud. And and that's not easy to do. But Mark Bell is a freaking genius. And and when he when he uh, when he sent me that shot, I was like, "Oh my gosh, you are you are my hero." I'm, I can't even. I was going to say you're an American hero, but he's from Ireland. So um, yeah, that kind of thing does not happen by accident. Right. Little teeny things like when the lightning flashes. Yes. That's the lightning is its own element. It's not actually there. In other words, to make lightning flash, to make light reflect off the saucer mm-hmm. when the lightning flashes, like you could put the lightning in the shot, but there wouldn't be any lighting reflection off the saucer because the saucer's not actually there. It's its own separate element. So you literally have to create a pink glow on the ship to make it look like the light is reflecting off of the barrier. And when the lightning flashes, you see a light flash on the, on the ship. All of that is done to simulate the, 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 the illusion that the ship is actually in that physical space interacting with the clouds and the and the lightning. Oh. It is it is beautiful. You mentioned um you mentioned that you you said that Mark was your hero and and one of the reasons why I think you're my hero Vic is because of the small things that you do in the show and I got to say it was a subtle line that maybe not a lot of people caught but uh, it's been one stuff. that that has bugged me with the um, with what happened back in the original episode, and that human frailty causing Gary Mitchell to forget Kirk's middle name was one of the <laughs> sheer genius moments in Star Trek Continues history. It was beautiful. I don't even know whether Rob Sawyer wrote that or whether we added it, <laughs> but uh, but again, I love those little Easter eggs, and uh, you know you walk a very fine line between wanting to acknowledge something and not wanting to billboard it too much. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that, uh, that the way that we were able to address that minor continuity error. And, you know, when people ask me, what do you think happened there? My answer is, Oh, they probably hadn't even decided what Kirk's middle name was. Sure. At that point, it was the first, you know, it was the pilot episode. And so they probably didn't even, hadn't even thought about it. So they just put a, they just put a random letter there. And then later on in the series, when they decided they liked the ring of James T. Kirk, James Tiberius Kirk, um, by then it was too late. Like they'd already established James R. Kirk on the gravestone. Um, but uh, but uh, thank you for saying that again. It's one of those fun little things that that it, it's really fun as a fan to to address, but you don't want to overdo it, you know. <laughs> you know, um, I appreciate the fact that you have 
two other guest stars in this episode who themselves have a science fiction pedigree. Obviously, Cass Anvar, who's on The Expanse on the Sci-Fi Channel, which is a fantastic series. Right. But also Nicola Bryant, who, when she appears in this episode, steps out of something that, if it were painted blue, could resemble a TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> we joked about that, actually. We joked about that. But yes, Nicola was amazing. She is so amazing in this role. And she had such a great time. Came over from the UK, did an amazing job. And, uh, and Cass is a Star Trek fan. He is a childhood Star Trek fan. And he had such fun putting the costume on and playing Star Trek with us. In fact, I just got uh, a message from him yesterday. He had finally gotten a chance to watch the episode and like just over the moon. He's like, oh, my God, I'm on Star Trek. I'm in Star Trek. I'm in Star Trek. It's like I'm in Star Trek. Um, and uh, he really, really did an amazing job. And we had so much fun. One of the other things that I loved about this, not not I'm going to go. I'm going to be specific in a second about about one particular thing, but the entire episode costumes once again you guys just do such an amazing job but i wanted to specifically point out the romulan costumes that ginger oh holly god. and her team yes. designed oh my god i actually was talking to ginger the other day uh, on facebook telling her what a great job she did how on earth did you guys or did she and her team pull that together because they well, I'm sure are you perfection. i'm sure you, i'm sure she told you i mean if you were talking to her I'm sure she told you, like we did, she did a lot of research. She found photos on the internet of people who had like pieces of the original fabric and they would hold it in their hand <laughs> so you could see what color they were. You could see how they were made. Like the sashes were, they were like knitted. They were like knitted fabric and and you could see the exact color and then the under the undergarment the, the main body of the piece was a woven like ribbon it was kind of a a a, a brassy looking well brassy's not even the right the right color but kind mm -hmm. of a a metallic ribbon that that had some black in it and and they were woven together and it almost looks like like chainmail on camera but we literally had that triangular uh knitted stuff made we had it custom made by a company in Italy and then she had a friend of hers weave we, we chose the ribbon that we wanted, and uh, like it's about a half an inch wide, three-eighths of an inch wide, and, and a friend of hers wove all of that together, and that's what Ginger made those uniforms from. And there is no – I've seen a lot of Romulan uniforms at a lot of conventions. Nothing touches the it screen is. accuracy of these uniforms. There. And then Randy, and then Randy Lloyd, a good friend of of ours, who also made some of the props that sit 
in Spock's quarters and in Kirk's quarters. He designed them in a 3D program and then 3D printed them. Uh, Randy did the helmets. Hmm. Um, and uh, again, everything is just absolutely spot on. I want one of those Romulan disruptors. I'll tell you that. That was pretty sweet also. Was that a 3D printed uh, prop also? No, that was a hero prop that I believe belongs to our dear Dave Arland. Oh. I'll tell you a funny little uh, – here's a funny little bit of trivia. In that scene where the Romulan turns the disruptor to overload and it cuts to a close-up of the disruptor, mm-hmm. when we shot the scene last November, we forgot to shoot a close-up of the disruptor. And as I was editing episode 10 – I called up James Kerwin. I'm like, please tell me we shot a close-up of the disruptor. It was a freaking hero disruptor. So beautiful. Please tell me we shot a close-up of the disruptor. And he was like, no, we didn't. So in February, when we were shooting episode nine, I literally had one of the camera team during a break grabbed the camera and the tripod. We took it over to the planet set that was still standing. And I had one of our, literally had one of our production team put on the Romulan uniform and, and hold the disruptor. And we shot that close up. And I talked him through like, okay, now spin this thing. Like you're, like you're turning it on, you know, like you're, like you're activating an overload. And I and and we lit it and shot that close up literally 3 months after the the episode was shot and Cass was long gone. Wow. So that's, that's one of our stage hands. <laughs> that's one of our production team members, you know, with his arm through the sleeve of the Romulan uniform holding the disruptor on our planet scene, on our planet set absolutely seamless it's the attention to detail you guys have is just it it can't be matched by anybody it's just so great um one thing i wanted to one more thing i wanted to bring up and then i think bill has one more question is of course this is going to be wrapping up the five-year mission and of course during your run with star trek continues we've seen characters that we have never seen before and it was very sad to see security chief drake uh Uh, get vaporized in the way that he did. It seemed just so ruthless and and evil the way that Lana did it. Um, If you could, I'm kind of curious, what was, uh, what was Steve's um, uh, reaction when you told him what was going to happen? You know what? I'll tell you, I'll I'll tell you, let me tell you, let me tell, let's talk about that moment. Sure. I wish we could spend more time and just break down all of the moments because there's a story behind every one of these. And here's the story behind Drake's death. In the original script that Rob Sawyer wrote, Lana comes out of the brig and freezes both of them and makes them turn their phasers on each other and shoot themselves. And sometime during the time that we were waiting to get the script, and I wasn't sure... You know, one of the one of the bullet points that we sent Rob Sawyer was we we need to kill Drake, like Drake needs to die. And uh, 
During that time, Steve Dangler con- called me, and he said, I hope you're going to have a great dramatic death for Drake. <laughs> and I said, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, he, he's not going to die saving the ship. I mean, that kind of thing. He's not, it's, I mean, you know, he... He's a not, he's a beloved character, but you know we got to keep it in context, <laughs> right? And uh, and and I said, you know, I promise we'll it'll be something good, Steve. Well, then we got the script from Rob, and it literally just had he and the other guy turning their phasers on themselves and pulling the trigger and killing themselves. And it, when I read it, I thought, okay, how can we make more of Drake's death? And that was when I came up with the idea, oh, my God, we will have Lana make Drake shoot his own, his own security person. Like, we will have her freeze them, and then she will force Drake to kill the other guy. And then turn the phaser on himself. Rather than them shooting themselves at the same time, now there's the trauma of make. Could you imagine, oh. like, if I forced Dan to turn a gun on on you, Bill? You know what I mean? Like the trauma. The horrific <laughs> I'm sorry, trauma. that makes me laugh. <laughs> the horrific trauma of of not being able to control your own muscles, yeah, right, body, and and pulling the trigger and vaporizing your own crewmate. And then to feel it start turning toward you. Um, so I felt like that gave Drake's death enough of an extra punch mm-hmm. uh, that, that I knew Steven would appreciate. And he and, really did. And he, he sold it too, man, because you can see his eyes job. darting around. Oh, yeah. Really good job. And, yeah. you know, Lana, um, Nicola was there, obviously. She was in the scene. And she worked with him. I wasn't there. I was at a convention appearance. They shot that scene uh, during one of the days that I was out of town. And I was really excited to see what they did with it. And in the actual footage, you can hear Nicola offset directing him. Oh, wow. And, you know, you can hear her talking to him. You know, try to fight it, but you can't fight it. Mm-hmm. I'm forcing you, but you can't, you can't, you're, you're, oh, you can't fight it. You can't fight it. It's coming around. You know what I mean? And you can hear her off, off screen, mm-hmm. you know, directing him and working with him. And, and wow. it, it really turned out great. Wow. You know, so Vic, as I wrote this question, it occurred to me, it's the very last time I can ask it of you. And it is this, what tidbit can you give us about the next episode of Star Trek Continues? If you and any of your listeners, any of the people that have been following our series, if you watch the credits, and I hope you do, mm-hmm. because those are the people that make the show, you'll see the name John Vinson. John Vinson is a feature film editor in Hollywood. He has edited, he edited Fight Club. He edited a lot of movies, a lot of big films, major motion pictures. And he actually contacted me after our vignettes 
I'm talking about before our first episode even air, even came out. John Vinson contacted me and said, I just saw your little vignettes, and I love what you guys are doing, and I would love to help if I can. And I contacted him, and I said, look, I'm going to be cutting the episodes, but if you'd like, I'd love to come by your your place and let you watch my edit and give me any feedback, you know? Let me know if you think uh, this scene was too slow or that close-up was too long or you don't need this shot at all. Mm-hmm. Give me some of your expert input as an, as, a, as an editor. Sure. Well, I did that with Pilgrim of Eternity and I did it with every episode of our series. I went to his house after I'd cut the episode and we would sit and watch it. And every time he would have less and less to say. Like he he almost, he literally, he had very, very few comments uh, for each episode. And with every episode, he kind of had less and less comments, but was just more and more enthralled with, with the episode itself. And here's where the answer to your question comes in. When I took episode 11 to his house, and I walked in and sat down and I opened up my laptop and I said, okay, <laughs> this is the last time we're doing this. And he's like, I'm ready. We watched the episode. And he sat there figuratively and almost literally with his mouth open, with his jaw kind of open, dropped. And when the episode finished, he leaned back on the couch and almost had tears in his eyes. And he said, how is it possible that you saved the best for last? He said, I have seen every one of these episodes and everyone has been better than the last and they just get better and better and better. And he said, I keep thinking, how can they possibly surpass what they just did? And he said, this episode is the best thing you've done and I have such an overwhelming sense of satisfaction. He said, I am overwhelmed with a bittersweet satisfaction, a sense of completion, a sense of closure with the original series of Star Trek. You see the five-year mission come to an end and you leave all of the characters where they were when the motion picture picked them up and it is a perfect filler to that space between the cancellation of TOS and the motion picture. And, And I need to point out, you guys, that when I show him these episodes, they're not even done. Oh, wow. When I show him these episodes... This, there's no sound design. There's no music. There's no color correction. And in fact, even a lot of the effects are not in yet. There will literally literally be a card that says, the Enterprise warps away. Oh, man. A, car, a black card, a black screen with white letters that say, the Romulan and the Enterprise go through space. Or a black card that says, the Congo emerges from the barrier. 
like a lot of the effects are not in yet. It is literally a rough cut with no sound design or music or finished color grading or even some of the VFX. And still, that was what he had to say about Eleven. So the only tidbit I can give you is that John Vinson, who has been involved in kind of, I don't know what you would call it, quality control uh, in the editing of our post-production of our episode since the very first episode. After watching Eleven, even in an uncompleted form, thought that it was the best thing that we had done and that it filled him with such a somber and yet a sense of completion and finality. It's, um, I, I sit here and listen to you tell us that story, Vic, and I can't help but get a little choked up myself because it is no secret how much Bill and I love you guys and what you have done with this, with, with Star Trek Continues. Knowing that the next one is the last one is still so hard to take, but at the mm-hmm. same time, the work that you guys do and it shows in every single episode, I can't wait to see it, even knowing that it's the last one. Um, yeah. We love having you on here to discuss this every time, too. I appreciate it. I, I love you guys and, and have enjoyed your insights and your feedback and talking with you. And, you know, I don't even know how I'm going to feel. Um, mm. This is quite probably my life's work. You know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. this will be the one. I mean, I've done a lot of anime and 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 had the privilege to be a part of a lot of really great anime series and video games, but somebody else made those. I just voiced a character. Star Trek continues. I made this. You know what I mean? Like it was my it was my dream project, and and God brought so many amazing people. I shouldn't even start. I'm not going to start naming them because they're just too many. But all of the people that came into this production and how we became a family and not only became a family and had a good time making episodes, but made really good episodes. Mm -hmm. And I am so profoundly proud of everyone that's been a part of our series and, and what we've accomplished I am hopeful and optimistic that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, Star Trek Continues will be considered part of canon. Mm. Maybe not by CBS or, you know, official uh, owners of Star Trek, but by the fans, by the people that loved the original series and, and watched all the movies and Next Gen and on and on. I'd like to think, and I'm hopeful, and I, and I believe it's certainly within the realm of possibility, that as hundreds of thousands of people continue to discover Star Trek Continues, that they will watch the original series. There will come a day when people will watch the original series, and then they will watch Star Trek Continues, and then they will watch the movies. And, and uh, I would love to think, and it has nothing to do with any money, I don't care about one penny from it. 
I just would love to think that what we've done uh, would be continued to be enjoyed and embraced by tons of fans around the world in the years to come. Well, I can tell you that uh, without a doubt, there are two fans that you're talking to right now who already consider it canon, my friend. Um, I will always, and, and I actually point that out to people. I say, this is what happened after the three-year mission. This is the last two seasons. It's beautiful stuff. Um, to Boldly Go Part 1 is available everywhere online right now. It's on YouTube. It's on the Star Trek uh, Continues.com website, and we totally want everybody to go check it out to prepare yourselves for what is going to happen uh, when it comes out to Boldly Go Part 2 on November 13th uh, to the public. Vic, uh, I'm sure we're going to have you back on at least one more time to talk about the last episode, but we cannot thank you enough, my friend, for coming on today to talk about Part 1, and as always, just incredible conversation and thank you so much for joining us thank you guys and uh blessings to you guys for your kindness and support and love of star trek and uh can't wait to talk to you once that uh last episode comes out bless you guys i would just like to point out that seven times Mr. Vic Mignogna has been on the Trek Geeks podcast and Dan seven times he has delivered you know that and more he is always fantastic when he comes on the show and we truly can't thank him enough um what what an incredible guest you know it shows the passion that he has for this project which for him, I can only imagine what he's feeling. I and mean, he he talked about it briefly. I can only imagine what it's feeling for him because it's wind it's it's winding down, but it's kind of winded down for him because the filming has already been completed. Um, but he still he could we could probably talk to him for five or six hours about just one episode and all the things. And one of the things that I love the most is he has no idea what we're going to talk about and the questions that we're going to bring up or the or the or the comments of things we liked. And a perfect example, we talked about Security Chief Drake. I didn't expect much of a conversation of that. He has a story for everything. And the story he told about that scene blew me away. It was awesome. And he does it for any comment or any topic we bring up. And that's one of the things I love so much about Vic. You know, it's it's fascinating. You know, we've seen how they put these episodes together, you know, when they're on set. We've seen the work that goes into it. and. Granted, we got a very small portion for the couple of days that we were there, but we know that you know there there are big things that go into even the smallest of decisions in a scene mm-hmm. from having watched it ourselves, and then to find out even more from some of these bigger moments, you know, is is really fascinating. I I I I, uh, I, I would love to hear commentaries from Vic on all of the continues episodes. Um, I think that would be the best. And I think that's the kind of thing I would watch repeatedly. Oh, uh, absolutely. We should do something like we did with Mary and have Vic on as a guest. <laughs> oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> but I will say one thing that I thought was great that he talked about. I want to go off on a small tangent. I think one of these days when we're commuting to work together, because I can say that now, um, is I'm going to pull over and I'm going to force tinfoil contact lenses into your eyes. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Yeah, that would be Imagine what that must have been like back in the 60s when they did that to the actors who played Mitchell and Dennehy. 
Oh. I'm amazed it didn't do well. We don't know this, but I'm amazed that it didn't do permanent damage to their eyes yeah. on some level. You know, even if it was just one side that that had the foil on it, still, I mean, that's that's not good. It's my, it's your eyes. <laughs> your eyes, Dan. Well, you do what you can for the service, right? So, Dan, let's uh, as we do with with Star Trek Continues episode. I mean, normally what we do is we ask the question. Is this Star Trek? And you and I are so far past answering that question with the series because it absolutely is. But, you know, let's talk about this from a different angle. Obviously, we both love this episode. So as you consider the pantheon of Star Trek continues, and I've asked you this question before. Right. Where does this episode fall? You know, I was I was thinking about that this morning before we started recording. And it's really hard to to rate it. Because as we know, and as we've talked about, and as Vic talked about, um, people have said it to him. They're saving the best for last. Um, yeah. You don't think every episode seems to outdo the previous episode. Now, uh, White Iris has a storyline unlike anything. Um, it's amazing. Lolani has another story unlike anything. They're so Star Trek centric, I guess is the best way to put it. But I got to say, in terms of excitement and Literally on the edge of my seat for most of the episode, I might have to put this as number one for the reason of what we saw and the anticipation of what we are about to see. It's so exciting and so scary. And you are drawn into this episode from the very beginning with everything that's going on, and it doesn't slow down for one minute. And for me, that makes it, I got to say for right now, I got to put it as number one, at least for the moment, until I have a chance to maybe dissect the other episodes again. It's it's that powerful an episode. What about you? I agree with you. You know, I, as I've, I think about the episodes that I've loved the most or have meant the most to me, you know, there's been uh, Lolani, there's been White Iris, there's been Kamnot Between the Dragons. And on any, any given day, any one of those could have been the top for me. And as it stands right now, you know, at this moment in time, Let's assume that the other half of this episode doesn't exist yet. You know, kind of like the the other half of the board cliffhanger. Let's pretend it hasn't even been written. Okay. I um I have to say that this one kind of vaults to the top simply for you know for tone, for script, for for character, um, and just for the all around story and how it's played out. Um, yeah, it's uh, and like you said, there, it's not done. You know, for all we know, this one could take a a distant number two position to the last episode and uh we're gonna have to wait and see and that's the worst part (laughs) it is the worst part now luckily we don't have to wait long because this last episode will be available for everyone to see in just a couple of short weeks november 13th it's going to be available uh to the world to watch now you brought something up that i wanted to to mention very quickly is this is part one of part two and part one it I'm I I will go as so far as to say is oh my god it had a it had a best of both worlds feel to it when it when that to be concluded showed up on screen it was it was oh my god we got to wait however one of the things that we have talked about on this show and with fans and listeners is a lot of times and I'll use TNG and I don't mean to use TNG it's to to be mean in any way shape or form a lot of times the second part of the two parters and the cliffhangers don't deliver as much as part one did. Best of Both Worlds was kind of a little bit of a letdown for me. Descent certainly was. Time's Arrow was, and I know you don't even like the first part of Time's Arrow. I am really quite certain that 
to boldly go part two is not going to fall into those categories at all. Uh, I have to, um, I have to agree with you. And it feels like I say that a lot whenever we talk Star Trek continues, it's great. Um, but yeah, I don't see how that could happen at all in this particular case. Um, I just, I'm, I'm bowled over by what this episode means for the crew, of the enterprise. And I, it's like you said, I, I'm not rocking back and forth, but it is worrisome really is the word because the stakes, uh, to, to sound cliched from it, the stakes are really high. They are. And uh, we'll find out very soon as to just how far those stakes go. We will, Dan, just a couple of short weeks. In the meantime, we should probably thank our friends, the band Five Year Mission. Dan, without them, this podcast would have no music. And wouldn't that be sad for the internets in general? We want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net. Listen to all the music that that we use here on the Trek Geeks podcast and on Discovering Trek, and we guarantee you're going to be a fan. Download all those albums. Get ready for year four because it's coming, baby. And uh, we can't wait. So that's fiveyearmission.net. Please become a big fan of theirs because we certainly are, Dan. You know, you just made me think of something. If, if not for Five Year Mission and their awesome music that we hear every week, all people would have to listen to is the two of us. Wow. Anyway, um, so I, I, I deep dove into another episode. I got, I got to do it every week, man. It's, 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 it's a habit. And it's, whether it's a good habit or a bad habit, I'll let the listeners decide. But I watched all our yesterdays recently. You remember that one? It's a good oh, episode. Yeah. Great I episode. Like it. It, but, you know, poor Mr. Atos. You thought there would be a farcism in there, but there isn't. Um, he's the only person that we see in that vast library of tapes, which he has to keep organized in, in addition to everything else he has to do. And I got to say that even with all of the duplicates that he had, he must have been lonely preparing all of those people to go back in time to whatever time period had their favorite music or their favorite drummers or their favorite singers. It, it had to have been a tiring job for all those years before that planet was destroyed. And I just got to say one thing, Bill. Thank God that he had the Atavfark Kron. Because without that, he wouldn't have been able to save all those people. I, uh, you know, I, as you were telling me, it was all our yesterdays. I'm thinking to myself, no, he's not going to do that. He's he's not going to do that. He's not going to say the Atavfark Kron. And I started to put my head in my hand and just rest it on the desk. Like, no, he's he's not really going to do this. And I just sent you the selfie he I did. took while I was doing that <laughs> as you were talking. And that's that's happened while while words were coming out of your mouth at the very moment you said Atavfark Kron. Yeah. You know, this may be the funniest moment of Farkism's history because I wasn't expecting you to send me that picture. And folks, he really did send me the picture and what he described is exactly what he sent me. Oh my god, man, that was funny. But it was, you know, I feel bad for Atars, I really do. Yeah. You yeah, must be I, a homicidal <laughs> I feel bad for our listeners, I really do. <laughs> Dan, that's fiveyearmission.net. Please, please, you know... Use the Atavfark Kron and get yourself their albums. That's really all I'm asking. Please. Dan, of course, we want everyone to subscribe to Trek Geeks so they can get this podcast delivered automatically on their mobile device or however they like to consume podcasts. Head on over to subscribe.trekgeeks.com. You can find out how you can get this very Star Trek discussion 
on your your iPod, your iPhone, your Android device. Maybe you've got one of those uh, those Sony MP3 Walkman style type things. Um, who knows? But that way you can listen to us and not even have to go get the podcast yourself. That way you can listen to Dan's mellifluous tones every single week just by looking at your, your, your phone. How great is that? Go get Dan. Get him on your phone. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's scary, isn't it? Thank you. Dan. Dan, next week we're going to have an interesting discussion. We're going to um we're going to do something discovery related, but let's assure people right now there will be no spoilers as part of this discussion. Yes, uh absolutely no spoilers. We don't want to do that over here at Trek Geeks. That's what we do over at Discovering Trek. So, head on over to Discovering Trek if you want to get those uh discovery spoilers, but uh we do have new Star Trek we have Star Trek Discovery now, and as everybody knows, uh, we here at Trek Geeks are just thrilled with what Discovery has done so far, and we do love talking about it on Discovering Trek. But, you know, this is the first time that Star Trek has been on the air at the same time that social media plays such a crucial role in our society. Um, so, you know, we decided that with everything that we've been seeing lately uh, since Discovery was announced, and especially since uh, Discovery has been on the air, we're going to take a closer look at Star Trek Discovery and the never-ending social media microscope. It should be a very interesting and probably at times quite intense conversation. Yeah, you know, we've been quiet about a lot on social media with regard to Star Trek Discovery. You know, people you know, obviously have their opinions on it, and that's fantastic. I, I have no problem with that. But there's just there's just so much out there, and some of it we're tired of hearing, and some of it we want to hear more of, and that's kind of what we're going to look at next week. It's going to be a, a great discussion, and uh, we hope everybody tunes in for it. Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions. They are online at the thetricordertransmissions.com, whether it's Shore Leave or Disco Trek or Drawing Trek or even their Atavacron show, which is not called Atavfartcron, by the way. <laughs> they have something that's going to please just about everybody. And Dan, they're adding a new show, if you can believe this, Host, one of the co-hosts of which is our good friend Barry DeFord. Unbelievable. And that is pretty exciting. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Can't wait to check it out. But please, that's the, the tricordertransmissions.com. And Dan, for all the news on all those Star Treks, we want everyone to head over to our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 118 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Bill, whatever you do, don't sabotage the coconut. The coconut? He says it wrong in one way. You can say it wrong in another way, right? Nice job, Chef. Don't sabotage the coconut. Coconut. Sound like you're... (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need this as a ringtone. (laughs) Sabotage the coconut. You're welcome. I'm having more fun with this than you are. (laughs) I would assume so. Coconut.
Bing bong. Happy Halloween. Whoa. Whoa. Now I'm terrified. <laughs> Although I will say that's not as scary as Vincent Price. No. Nobody could do it better than him. He's a thriller. <laughs> First rapper ever in pop music no. history, I think. No, not true. No? Okay. First actor to do rap in a song in pop music history, maybe. See, I don't even consider it rap. I don't either, but somebody said that once to me, and it always stuck out. That's stupid, just like you. He's just re- Wow. He's just reading. I mean, he yeah. sounds as boring as you do when we talk most of the time. Okay, now I know you're lying, because Vincent Price never sounds boring. <laughs> you know what I do I man- say is that... Um, I loved the trailer for Stranger Things season two that came out this past summer because it had the thriller music in it. That was pretty cool. I like that. Oh, right. That was right. very cool. Did you watch uh, the Stranger Things season one? Yes, we did. We liked it a lot. We thought it was good. Okay. Yeah, we have not started season two yet, um, even though it dropped this past Friday. Um, well, we're still working on Orphan Black. And now that I have a schedule, um, we have to get uh, Orphan Black done within 21 days <laughs> and we still have like 36 episodes to go. So, well, that sounds like you better, um, you better apply yourself to something finally and, and do that. Yeah, might as well. At least, you know, something worth applying for than sitting down with you every week. Jerk. Yeah. You, st- you still show up. What I does know, that say I, about you? It's, it's for the fans. I will say, you know, I love them. They're all great. All the listeners are awesome. And then there's you. So I got to weigh it. You know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. You know, you, you being the few and the one. Mm-hmm. That's what I said. I said it and I stand by it. The best part is, is I can just mute you anytime I want to. <laughs> that is true. Power of EP. No, it's really just the power of running the recording. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what you drinking? I got... Oh, Boston cream donut, man. Just love it. I do love it. But you know who doesn't love it as much? That would uh, be my Oprah? bride. No, my bride. I Jesus? I came downstairs this morning, and and I went to – I got my Trek Geeks coffee mug, of course. Got to have that when we record. And uh, so I went to the Keurig machine, and I opened it up to put my Boston cream donut in there. And there's sitting there is a Boston cream donut uh, K-cup. And I said, oh. You having Boston cream donut this morning? And she goes, "Oh, oops! I didn't want to do that. I wanted uh, Christmas sugar cookie or uh, cinnamon sugar cookie." And I'm like, "Oh, well, Boston cream's good." She goes, "Okay." And she took two sips of it. And she goes, "Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to dump this." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay." So, well, okay. Not a, not a fan. I'm thinking. Well, these things happen. It does happen. I'm not a fan of you. These things happen. See, you just you're you're on target this morning, man. I love that. See, now the best part is I just muted Dan, and he's got no idea. You know, I mean, because I'm controlling the recording, I can just mute him indiscriminately whenever I want to. And now, maybe because I'm feeling magnanimous, I will turn him back on. And I don't think that there's anybody better than you in the entire planet. But that's just me. We'll see what happens. <laughs> You're so full of it. <laughs> and by the way, I can tell when you mute me because I see the microphone go mute. You big dumb dumb. Well, I also know you're not that bright. Well, that's true, too. Yeah, because you, you almost never look at the recording screen when we're recording. That's true. <laughs> I can only do one thing at once. 
Yeah, and even then, not well. <laughs> so this morning for coffee, I am enjoying uh, an iced beverage. Oh. And the flavor is Friendly's Vienna Mocha Chunk Ice Cream. Did you just like take it out of the freezer this morning and melt it and pour it in your coffee mug? No, they actually have Friendly's coffees, which are based on some ice cream flavors. So uh, the two that I have are they have a mint chocolate chip, and they have Vienna mocha chunk, both of which are my favorites. And uh, I'm going to say it's much better iced than it is hot. Is it a K cup? <clears throat> Absolutely. Oh my god, we're going to try that. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, flashback to 30 years ago when I actually worked at Friendly's. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those people who don't live on the east and uh, or east of the Mississippi, there is a chain of, of family ice cream restaurants called uh, Friendly's. And when I worked for them 30 years ago, they were friendly. So at some point, it was they added the apostrophe S. But it's a, it's a restaurant chain that was started in Massachusetts in the 1930s by a couple of brothers. And um, they specialized mostly in ice cream and had a, you know, a, an okay menu. It's not like you would go there for the food anyway. Is it, you think that's a fair statement, Dan? Oh, I agree with that 100%. So now, you know, because everybody seems to have a K-cup, uh, Friendly's has K-cups based on their ice cream. And uh, mint chocolate chip was always my favorite flavor. <clears throat> and um, I'm going to tell you that the iced coffee version kind of tastes like you know, you're you're eating the remnants of a bowl of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm but just, it, iced, it's much better. I'm just surprised, you know, a, a restaurant chain of that name, that staff that they hired 30 years ago would be that way. And obviously that wasn't the case if they hired you. Well, trivia, um, this is an actual thing. So 30 years ago, they ran uh, as a company an internal contest looking for the friendliest friendlies in the United States. And the restaurant that I worked at, the Laconia New Hampshire Friendlies, is the one that won Ah. out of all of the hundreds of locations of friendlies across the nation. Were you off the day they did the voting? (laughs) No, I actually was there. No, I'm I'm not surprised. You are are very good at all the things you have done. Congratulations. Right. So go, uh, 30 years late, but congratulations. Yeah. Well deserved. That's great. So go F yourself. <laughs> <laughs> There's my friendliness to you. All right. <laughs> Love it. That's a little uh, little trivia on this week's episode of Trek Geeks and the Outtake. Very, very interesting stuff. What was um? What was your first job? Oh, God. Uh, I don't remember my first job. I remember the first job that I... The first job that I remember doing and 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 enjoying and doing it for a while is I was a cashier at a Purity Supreme supermarket at the Royal Ridge Mall in Nashua, New Hampshire. I remember that place. Yeah, yep. I was. I think before. Yeah, it was before that. Actually, I was a dishwasher at the Sheraton Tower Hotel in the kitchen. Not fun. Oh yeah, not fun at all. But I did. So, uh, so we, go ahead. You you don't remember your actual first job? I don't. I don't remember it. Um, how the, it how the hell Sher- does that happen? I don't know. I might have been Sheraton Tower. I don't. I. I don't know. I don't know. You've. You've. You've caused me to suffer so much mental anguish in oh, this the is last not about two and a half years that I've forgotten a lot of things that happened to me. 
<laughs> this is not. This has nothing to do with me. You just don't have a brain. Yeah, but and also, but I, I, yeah, I just I don't remember my first my first job. I really don't. I think that's it, interesting. It, it may have been the shirt and Tara. I don't, I know I didn't have a driver's license when I worked there, so it quite possibly could have been that. Um, and then hmm. I was at Peary Supreme for a while, and then I started at Main Dunstable Video, and I was there all through my teenage and and twenties. Uh, loved that. I was going to say you, a lot of fun. You were still working at the video store when you started Fidelity, weren't you? Yeah. Yep. And I, I yeah. continued doing that for part time for a long time because I loved it so much. Um, it was a great, you know, it wasn't a chain. It was local. The guys were very laid back, cool dudes. And and uh, we had a great time working there. I always loved it. Yep. So I was there. For, I think overall, I was there probably for like 15 years, 20 years, maybe part time and full time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Long time. Yep. My first job. Um, was I was a, a grocery bagger at Jackson's Star Market in Guilford, New Hampshire. Yeah, bagging. I started bagging at Purity before I became yeah. a cashier. That's not always the funnest. Only job I ever got fired from. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I hated it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jerk, you, uh, you ready to do this? I am ready to go. Let's do it. Wonders never cease. I know. <clears throat> This is Halloween, you know.